You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Amen, amen. Will you go ahead and have a seat as we get started this morning? Go ahead and open your program and take the bulletin, uh, the outline out, because I believe you'll need it this morning. And we're going to have just a great time as we open up God's Word here today. It's been interesting. It's been quite a journey. We've been in a series on spiritual warfare going verse by verse through the book of Ephesians now for eight weeks, for six days, and six and a half chapters into this book before we ever get to an offensive weapon. Think about that. It's talked about all defense and laying the foundation of what dictates spiritual warfare before we have seen what happens. And so what has God done? Let's review very quickly that God has given his big plan. In his big plan, he has recruited you to be part of his forever family. He's brought you back from the dead. He has given you allies as part of his forever family. He has dreams and lasting work for you in his kingdom. And he's given you new weapons to overcome your old flesh. He's given you the ability to have night vision and see the darkness and let the light of God shine on the darkness in your life so that what is hidden may be drawn out and that you may walk in the power of God's spirit. He has urged you to guard the headquarters of our marriage and our parenting and our response to our parents and in our workplace as employees or employers. And finally today, he's calling you and me into the fight. Are you ready to fight? Are you ready to learn about how to fight? So let's talk about today. Let's pray before we get started. God, we are so grateful that you actually have our back. You have our front. You are the rear guard. You go before us into any battle. And so often, God, we try to do it alone. We try to walk through the tough stuff in life on our own. And and we are depending on you today. God, we depend on you in our hearts and through the impossible situations that seem to prevail in our lives. God, we proclaim that you are the one who overcomes them. Give us your wisdom now as your Holy Spirit opens up the scriptures to us. God, speak to us because we're here today to hear from you. We pray in Jesus' name and together we said, amen. Listen, life is a battle and yet some of you are ready to give up. You're just weary. You're just tired. You've just been trying to do it on your own, and and it looks like the easy way out, and doing what everybody else in the world does seems like the the easy alternative, because life's just a battle, and and you're just kind of ready to give up. The interesting thing about spiritual warfare is you don't get a notification on your phone when the day of battle arrives. It just arrives. Like all of a sudden, your world seems torn apart. You have lying thoughts in your head. You have disturbing dreams and your peace is shattered because all the circumstances in your life look like the world just fell apart all of a sudden in front of you. And you're like, what happened? I thought I was doing fine. I thought my week was going great. But all of a sudden something came in and the day of battle has arrived and you didn't get a notification. The only notification you have is what you're experiencing in your head, in your heart, and in your circumstances is not okay. Here's why you need today's sermon. You need to identify spiritual warfare and take your stand with the armor and weapons that God gives you as his child. Will you go ahead and watch this video? Paul closes out the letter by reminding these Christians of the reality of spiritual evil. 
these are beings and, and forces that will try to undermine the unity of Jesus' people and to compromise their new humanity. And so Paul challenges them to stand firm and to put on this metaphorical set of body armor, which he describes in detail. And Paul has drawn all of these pieces of body armor from the book of Isaiah and how Isaiah depicted the messianic king. And so now, as the Messiah's followers, we need to make the Messiah's attributes our own since we make up Jesus' body. Practically, I think Paul means for Christians to begin to form habits, proactively using prayer and the scriptures and our relationships with each other to help us grow and mature as followers of Jesus. And that's the letter to the Ephesians. Very powerful. It's where Paul summarizes the whole gospel story and how it should reshape every part of our life story. All right. So that's from the Bible Project. And this whole year, we've been telling you that basically, we want you to understand how the story of you fits within the big story of God. That God has a lasting work for you. That God loves you. That God desires to do great work in and through your life. And again, the story of you will not make sense unless you understand God's big story. And Paul is writing this letter to the Ephesians to give them a glimpse of how that works. But he understands that along the way, we're going to have battles. And so open your Bible with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 6, beginning with verse 10. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand Stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. So stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up, everyone say take up. Take up the shield of faith. Don't just leave it lying there, right? What do we got to do? It's active. We got to take up this shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit of all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. There's a huge hunger in our culture right now, for the spiritual, for spirituality, for almost like the mystical. And you wonder why that is. Well, the reason is because you and I are not just created as physical beings. We're created as spiritual beings. And that's an important thing to grasp because you know I'm created as a physical being. You know that I'm created as an emotional and as a mental being. I'm created as a sexual being, which we talked about last week. But we also know that God is telling us you are created as a spiritual being. And either you were once spiritually dead and now you're spiritually alive or you're still, you're spiritual but you're dead in your trespasses and sins and you've not been forgiven of them. But you are a spiritual being and we shouldn't overlook that fact. So God has given us a strong defense and he's given us two weapons for fighting back. And I want you to understand again, summarizingly, quickly what they are. There's a belt of truth. There's a breastplate of righteousness. He's using these as uh, figurative uh, lessons of speech. So we have truth. We've got righteousness. Your feet are fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. You've got a shield of faith. And with the shield of faith, what do you do with it? You take it up, right? Take up the shield of faith. Okay, keep going. We got the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. 
and prayer. And let me tell you, when a lot of people go through like the spiritual armor, they almost neglect the last part, but it's the second component to the offensive weapons that God has given us. He's given us prayer, and that's so essential, and it's incredibly powerful. So why? Why do we have the armor of God? Because life is a battle, and if you're taking notes today, write this down. Put on truth, because we lie to ourselves and others and God all the time. You need truth in your life. You need a constant. You need what is not just what seems true for a season. You need something that's been true throughout the centuries because it is the everlasting, spoken, living word of God. You need a gauge in your life. You need a standard in your life by which to determine truth, and that's this book. You need truth in your life. So what does it mean? It means that we pursue and apply the truth of God's word. And then it comes out in truthfulness in our words and in our thoughts and in our actions. And that pushes you and I to becoming a spiritually and mentally healthy person. We need truth because everything else is going to get us off track. And let me just say for, for some of you, some of you in this room, it is time to stop taking this book so casually. You might be a young adult, you might be a senior adult, but you literally need to do this. You need to say, I need to work my way through this book and get to know this book because without it, I'm dead. I'm going to die. Like, I am, there's a battle, and I don't know. I'm not even equipped, and I need to just start taking the time to work my way through the constant word of God. Why? You need to belt the truth. You need a breastplate of righteousness. Why? To guard your heart because our feelings betray us, right? You get all worked up. You get all emotional. You're up and down. And sometimes you just wait 48 hours, and it's gone. You're like, I'm back to being good. What happened? Your emotions struck. And sometimes when our emotions strike, and they can be manipulated oftentimes by the enemy, we need to know what righteousness is. Our emotions strike, and we feel like, I'm not worthy. Our emotions strike, and you begin to be under attack of shame or guilt. And at those points of time, you need to know where your righteousness stands and through whom your righteousness comes if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. It's not your own righteousness. It is the righteousness of Christ, and it is given to you, and you and I are sons and daughters of the Most High God. We need the righteousness to guard our heart because there's an attack. There's a battle at hand. Number three, find assurance in the gospel of peace with God, and don't be swayed from it. Like, rest your assurance on the fact that God has saved you, that the good news is that there can be peace for you between you and God. That there actually can be that. It's the good news. That's what the big word gospel means. Translated, good news. So there's good news of peace with God. Don't be swayed for it. And guess what? That good news, that message of the good news, it's on our feet. Why would Paul say it's on your feet? It's on your feet so that we are never forget our mission in this world. That we're to take it. That is to go with us. And let me just say it this way. It's on your feet because it's not intended just to stay here. And what I mean by that is this. There's a reason we open these windows over here. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. And that's because we don't want you to come into some dark box and make it feel like this is a theater type of production, but rather that, that what we do in here is on our feet. And the good news of what we talk about in here is supposed to make it into the world out there. That you don't just walk back out into the bright sunshine and be like, oh, I did church, now I'm going back to my life. No, your feet are fitted with the readiness of the good news of Jesus Christ. It's actually part of your spiritual armor and it's so intentional that we never forget what our gospel what our mission is in the world by taking the good news to those who just don't know it yet 
It's a beautiful thing. Well, Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus, but Paul's writing from prison. His feet are shackled. His feet are in chains. And he basically says this in verse 19. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the the gospel, right? The good news for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. What's he saying? I'm in chains, but pray that my feet are still fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace and that I have a boldness. Listen, he's in physical chains on his feet. And he, wherever those chains take him, with whatever jailers and jailmates and whatever prison he goes to, that message is going to go with him with his physical chains. But what we're saying for you is some of you are not in physical chains. You're in the chain of fear. You're in the chain of self-centeredness. You're in the chains and your feet are shackled. The message has stopped with you. You're in chains. And we need to remember that it's fitted on our feet because it's the message of the good news of Jesus that saves those who are yet to hear it. So we take it with us. We take it with us. Number four, you and I have a helmet of salvation to guard your mind and your thoughts. See, so often spiritual warfare happens in your thinking. Because if we can affect your thinking, if we can affect your beliefs, if we can make it seem like there's some you know, conspiracy theory or you can make it seem like you are under shame or under guilt or you're under attack or that you think someone else is the enemy, then if you begin to do that, as our thoughts go, so our actions go. And so often we need to ask this question. You, it's not in your outline, but I want you to write this question down. How many of you, by the way, just, I'm just curious, how many of you have crazy thoughts like I do? Okay, we all have this cra- weird, crazy thoughts, right? Just, it just happens, and you go, is that from me? But you have to ask this question when it comes to our thoughts. And the question is this, who told you that? Who told you that? See, sometimes we just think our thoughts are our own. That our thoughts are just ours. Well, if it was in my head, it must just be my thoughts. But the truth is, there's an enemy who wants to whisper and begin to get you to make an agreement with a lie, to make an agreement with self-condemnation, to make an agreement with fighting against other people, to make an agreement that there's not an enemy out there who's against you. And you just think that a person is against you. The truth is, no, there's a spiritual battle going on. And so you need to ask, who told me that? Because if you're hearing messages of shame, if you're hearing messages of inappropriate guilt, if you're hearing messages in your head that attack your worth, if you're hearing messages in your head that tell you to go do something that Scripture is very much against, that is not the voice of God or His Holy Spirit. Who told me that? Test the spirits. Test your thoughts. That's why Paul says, take your thoughts captive. Make them obedient to Christ. But we got to know what Christ thinks and feels, and we need to know what the Scripture says so that we can test even our thoughts. Why? You have a helmet of salvation. You've got something that just reassures you about the Lord and His work in your life. And now he gets to some of the offensive weapons. And this is where some of you love, you know, some of you like weaponology. And this is where some of you will get excited. But the weapon that he gives us first is the sword of the Spirit. That is the Word of God. This is your sword. This is it right here. It is the word of God. When Jesus was tempted in the wild desert places for 40 days by the devil, he was tested and tried and tempted. Right after he was baptized, he went out into the wild places. And in there, the only thing that he fought back with those temptations of the devil was, was with the word of God. 
He didn't like pull out the God card and say, hey, I'm God, get away from me. He quoted scripture back to the devil. Here's the interesting thing. This devil quoted scripture at him and took it out of context to try to get him to give in to something. So we need to know. We need to test the spirits, right? But Jesus models for us that the weapon that he would fight in a spiritual battle is with the word of God. See, it used to be back when you only knew one language and books were only written in one language, that the Bible was written in Greek or it was written in Aramaic or it was written in Latin in later times. And there came the point in time when Martin Luther said, listen, how come we just leave the Latin of the Bible in the hands of the educated and the religious leaders? We need to get that in the hands of the normal person because the normal person needs to understand the scriptures in their own language. And that was very fearful for an established church at that time. And this is what Martin Luther said. He said, a simple Christian armed with scripture is greater than the mightiest pope without it. In other words, if the religious hierarchy has abandoned the scripture, then the simplest Christian is now armed as a son or daughter of the Most High God with the word of God. And Jesus himself fought back using the sword of the Spirit of God. His word. This is an eternal word. Write this down. Block accusations, attacking thoughts, and lies with faith. With faith. Ephesians 6.16 says this. Help me out with this. It says, in addition to all this, take what? Take up. Everyone say, take up. Take up. Even in the loft. You guys said that? Take up, right? The shield of faith. Don't just leave it lying on the ground. What do we do? We take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Paul is drawing a picture that everybody could instantly think of in their mind. And the picture is this. He knew that when the Roman armies were conquering the world, including the area of uh, Israel, that one of the things they would do when they would oppose a foreign army is the first thing they would do is just shoot clouds of flaming arrows at the enemy. And all these arrows would come over and they would intimidate. I mean, it's the scariest thing ever, right? Flaming, fiery arrows coming at you in like a cloud all over to intimidate you. And it would injure and burn. And so what they would do is they would do that to intimidate the enemy. But I want to let you know that that's what the enemy does. Christians, listen to me. He wants to fire flaming arrows at you. Now, I do want to mention, if you're a non-Christian in this room, you've not put your faith and trust in Christ. You're evaluating and you're saying, hey, is this something I should believe in? Was Jesus real? Is the Bible legitimate? Should I look at these things? This is the best place you can be in to begin to answer those questions. It's a great place. But I want to let you know, if you're a non-believer in this room, you only have one enemy. You've only got one. And by the way, your enemy spiritually is not the devil. Because you're on his team. He doesn't have to fight you because he's already got control of what, how you live as you live by your own flesh. He's not worried about that. You've only got one enemy, and it's not the devil. Your enemy is God. If you're a non-Christian, your enemy is actually almighty God. Your sin in your life has declared war on God. And every now and then you'll be like, well, it just feels like God's against me. Well, guess what? He is. 
He's against the sin in your life that has you trapped. He is against you because he does not want you to end up in a place where your sin ultimately leads you and destroys you. What he wants is as he's created you, he loves you. So you have one enemy, but let me tell you, you have an enemy who fights fair. You have an enemy who fights with love, but you also have an enemy who doesn't force you to believe in him. So you have the chance to surrender your life to God. Romans 5, 8, Paul writes us, he says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Listen to me. While we were God's enemies, he still took the initiative to die for you. That in his blood shed on the cross, God's wrath against the sin in your life was turned aside and put on Jesus. And Jesus' righteousness was put on you if you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. So God attacks the evil in your life. And some of you in this room, you are you're saying, I am a believer. But you begin to say, well, God, why do you allow me to hurt? Why do you allow me to go through hard circumstances? Why do you allow me to be in pain? And I need to let you know, Christians, that God will allow you and me to hurt sometimes to grow our faith. Because sometimes when things are all good, you don't take up your shield. You don't take it up. You leave it right there on the ground. And he's saying, take up. Grab your shield. Put it up. And guess what happens? When things get hard, when life squeezes you, when you go through painful experiences, you and I have to realize, we're like, God, i got to take up the shield of faith. And I've got to begin to let that faith quench the arrows that are flaming from the evil one who wants to destroy me with them. And sometimes, let me just be honest with you, God allows you and I to hurt so that we will grow our faith. What happens? We develop deeper trust and assurance in God's power and in his love for us and in his sovereignty, even when we can't understand what's going on in our impossible situations. God wants to grow your faith. So as you take up that shield, it gets bigger. So that you take up that shield, it extinguishes more arrows and less and less is getting through. God wants to grow your faith. But i got to let you know, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to understand why sin is so serious. And on your outline it says this, your sin is not based on what you did on earth, it's based upon whom you committed it against. Who did you commit your sin against? You're like, well, it didn't really bother anybody. It was just, it was just you know, me. It didn't bother anybody else. Why is it such a big deal? Well, I love David Platt's book, Follow Me. And in this book, he's got an illustration that here's a missionary, and the missionary goes to a foreign country. And in this foreign country, it's actually a country that's still actively in their, their political system. They have a king. Like, how many of you have ever been to a country where they actually have a king, not just like some sort of democracy or some sort of, you know, other political arrangement? No, an actual king. And he goes to this, and it's a Muslim-speaking country, and, and he gets in a cab, and he begins to ask the cabbie some questions. And he's like, I'm just trying to wrap my head around, like, how it works here, because I've never been to a country that had a king before. And so he said this. Uh, I just pretend, I'm not going to do this, but he just said, what would you do if I slapped you? The cabbie said, I pull my cab over, and I kick you out of my cab. He said, okay. He said, hey, look, right over there in the, this corner, there's a policeman standing there. I just am trying to figure out how this works. What would happen if I got out of your cab, I ran over, and I slapped that policeman? He goes, that policeman would grab you and take you to jail. He goes, all right. He goes, I'm just being curious. I'm not going to do this. But what would happen if I slapped your king? The cabbie turned around and looked at me and said, he would cut off your head. 
See, it's not the slap, it's who the slap is against. And your sin is against God. And that's why sin is so serious. Sin will always get punished. God is a good and just God. He will always punish sin. And so what that means is that when you and I have sinned, somebody's going to die for that sin. It's either going to be you or it's going to be Jesus who took your sin and upon the cross. But either way, somebody dies. Why? Because sin is that serious. It's whom you've sinned against. There's such an interesting verse in the scripture. In Psalm 51, after King David had been confronted by having, uh, he basically had an affair and then he had, uh, he committed murder to cover up this affair that he had. And about a year later, he gets confronted about it. And when he gets confronted about it, he writes Psalm 51. And in there he says this, against you and you alone, Lord, have I sinned. And you might read that verse and understand the context and think, um, time out, I'm pretty sure you sinned against the guy you murdered. And I'm pretty sure the woman that you had an affair with, who pretty much feels like, I, don't, I can't say no to the king, I think she probably feels like she's been sinned against too. But what is David doing? David is owning the magnitude of whom he sinned against in the first place, the one who said, thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. He's saying, God, it's whom I've sinned against that makes the offense of my sin so serious. The beautiful thing is this, that because of Jesus and God's love for you to be willing to put your sin upon Jesus and to be willing to forgive it if you give faith in what Jesus did on the cross is that you and I have the chance to raise up the white flag and say, God, I got one enemy and it's you. And I'm raising up the white flag and I choose to believe in you. I choose to receive your forgiveness that washes my sin as white as snow. But you do that when you admit that your sin has not been a bit against everybody else, but that your sin is against him. Because that's how serious sin is. So what do we do? We pray. Pray. Because Christians, listen to me. Why pray? Because you've got three enemies. You say a non-Christian person has one, but a Christian person actually has three different enemies. And I want you to understand what this looks like. We need to pray because when you become a Christian, you've now got three and the first enemy that you're going to fill in the blank on here is yourself. It's your worst enemy. You are always with you. Who are you with more than any other person in your life? You're with you because you never leave you. You're always with you. And so what happens is you get selfish. You get sinful. You do things because you wanted to do it and because your flesh gets involved. I just got to tell you something. Do you know how good my marriage would be if I wasn't in it? It'd be perfect. It'd be perfect. Why? Because I bring self into it. I bring pride into it. And so do you. And so does the one that you're married to. And each person, two people, have self. And they come together. And at times that causes this agenda, this tension against one another. And so we need to pray. We're selfish. We're drawn to sin. And so that's it. You walk with your flesh. You walk with this body of flesh, this rental and that's why Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, and they go to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he begins to talk to his disciples, and he says to them, listen, disciples, I need you to do this. And he says this in Matthew 26, 41. He says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And what do his disciples do? They kind of start to pray, and then they fall asleep. 
what's Jesus telling you and I? That we have this flesh. We have this body of death. We have this thing that which we're always going to have war against until the day that we are freed. I don't know about you, but one of the reasons I'm still looking forward to heaven is I will be free from this body of death. Paul said in Romans chapter 7, he's like, who will rescue me from this body of death? As he's talked about the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. And the things I do want to do, I end up not doing. He's like, who's going to rescue me from me? And then he says, praise be to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who rescues me from this body of death. And he goes right into chapter 8 and he says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's good news. That's good news. But you and I, we have our self with us. That's our first enemy. The second enemy you have is Satan. Satan. This is the devil himself. He is personified evil. He is a real, actual, created being. And he does not have your best in mind. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be alert and be of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Doesn't say he wants to, you know, roar at you. He doesn't say he wants to just like sample on your arm a little bit. No, he wants to devour you. He wants to wreck you. He wants to wreck your flesh. He wants to wreck your marriage. He wants to wreck your workplace. He wants to wreck your parenting. And he wants to wreck how you respond to your parents. He wants to destroy you. And that's why in Ephesians 6, verse 12, Paul has written to us and says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And you're like, what is that? You're like, I don't really believe there's anything up there. I don't believe there's spiritual forces up in the heavenly realm having some sort of battle I can't see. We're going to let you know, like, we think we know it all because of what we can see, right? You think you know everything, but let me tell you, you don't know what's in the ocean. There are a lot of scientists who are like, there are only two types of this fish only. And then something dies in the ocean, and it washes up at Santa Cruz, and they're like, oh. We don't know exactly what's down there. Listen, some of you, you do that with God. You're like, I just think I know it all. But sometimes you don't know what's happening up in the heavenly realms. But what I need to let you know is that there is an unseen battle. Jesus says the devil is real. And you know what? That's enough for me. Why? Because he's the only one who came from there to here. So I know. I'm good enough to see it through his eyes. Listen, sometimes a problem in your life or in your marriage is not your spouse. Isn't it so sad that what happens is this? You are getting shot in the back by flaming arrows from the evil one, and all you can do is think that it's the person in front of you. You're getting more and more angry at the person in front of you while the time you're getting shot in the back by the flaming arrows of the evil one. And that's why Paul says sometimes our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against something else, but you can't see it because all you see is the flesh, the person, the employer, the spouse, the person you're against in front of you, and you're convinced that they are the enemy. Let me tell you, not always are they the enemy. A lot of times, the enemy is the enemy, and you and I need to pray so that we can figure out the difference and get through our problems so that we can have spiritual eyes to see a bigger picture of what's going on. So Paul says, pray. You've got the sword of the Spirit. You've got this defensive armor. God's going to be your rear guard and your front guard, but you need to pray. 
Because how sad is it so many times that people get so focused on the flesh and blood in front of them that they can't see the spiritual battle that's getting stabbed in their back. So we need to have eyes to see and ears to hear. Why? Because there is a very real Satan who wants to destroy the quality and the direction of your life. And last, the last thing that we have with us is society. That this world is hostile toward Jesus. Why do you think society and the world is so against Jesus? Like, as compared to other religions or things, why are they so reactive about Jesus? It's because he's a real deal. And if I admit that there's a Jesus, then I have to admit that there might be some accountability to a God. I might have to admit that the offense is whom I've sinned against. My sin is against Almighty God. That's why. So he's the real thing. The messages of society are intended, they're intentional to make you at war with your Savior. So young people and old, listen to me. The music you listen to, the movies you watch, the things you read, the, the really wise advice and pithy sayings that you kind of trust in and you try to wrap your life around and you try to do what everybody else does, those messages are intended to put you at war with your Savior. See, it's not just, oh, that album had an explicit label, so it's somehow bad. No, no, no. You could have very neutral music whose messages are actually intended to put you at war with your Savior. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, hands, what you do. Be careful, ears, what you hear. There was a children's song when I was growing up that, that would say things like that. Why? Because our society is intended in everything. Listen, the news you listen to that raises fear. I mean, have you ever, have you ever just thought, man, society just can't get any worse than this? I mean, you ever thought that? Like, I have, like, wow, we have just, wow, I don't know that there's any new lows we could go to. And then you wake up the next day, and it has. Like, it's gotten worse. Well, how did that happen? Because society, their messages are intended to cause you to give up on your faith. Jesus said this in Matthew 18, 7. He said, woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. What's he talking about? He's talking about religious leaders who lead away little children from acknowledging the truth. And he's saying there's actual, like an actual woe to them, a higher judgment to those who lead the little ones astray. There's an accountability for that because society. So what do we got to do? We got to lift up our shield of faith. Take up that shield. And when you don't have the strength to lift up the shield of faith on your own, you need brothers and sisters around you who will lift up their shields of faith and help cover you until you recover. You need a circle. You need people around you. So I want you to write this down in your outline. God gives the church teams to encourage and support one another. We call these circles. They help me see the battles I might be blinded to. Church gives teams. We call them circles. I don't know, I'm just being honest with you, I don't know in the world how Rambo and all those movies never got killed. Just don't know. <laughs> Bodies flying everywhere, right? But he didn't go down. Well, now there's a new movie coming out. It's like his last stand, right? Some of you think you're like Hollywood. You're fighting spiritual battles, but you've abandoned your unit. You need brothers and sisters around you to help you 
in those times. Ephesians 6, 21 through 24, Paul writes, and people sometimes just kind of tune it out because they think he's uh, like wrapping up. I'm just wrapping up. These are my final little words in my letter. This is my like little, you know, salutations. Nope. He continues the thought. He says this, Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you may also know how I am and what I am doing. So he's going to let you know two things. He said, I'm in chains. I'm in prison. But it's so important and we need community and we need the support of one another that somebody's got to go from me to you to let you know two things. Number one, how I am. And number two, how I'm doing. He says this, I am sending him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Then he says, peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love the Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. My question for you is this. How are you? And what are you doing? Who really knows how you are and what you're doing? I mean, are you really known by anybody? How are you? And what are you doing? And that's why we need circles, because we need to stop lying to ourselves and God and others. We need people around us who are being real about themselves. And together, we encourage one another. Together, we take up our shield of faith. Because I think so often we're trying to fight spiritual battles, but we're separated from our unit. And there's nothing more powerful than a group of believers supporting one another when tragedy strikes. And there's nothing more powerful than a group of believers who are in pursuit of a mighty opportunity for the kingdom of God. You want to know what the devil's afraid of? He's afraid of those things. That's what he fears. That you would get in a group where you're known, your name and your needs are known. That's what he's afraid of. He wants to keep you isolated, if at all possible. So let me ask you, how are you? And what are you doing? Are you becoming more and more alert? Are you becoming more and more ready to put to death the deeds of darkness and walk as a child of light so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to still stand? With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, just think about your own life. I want to ask, have you made peace between you and God? And there's some of you in this room that you realize today, maybe for the first time, that Jesus died because of the seriousness of your and my sin that we've committed against God. But Jesus didn't stay dead. He's God, become flesh, and he rose from the dead. And he's seated at the right hand with God the Father. And he intercedes for you. He prays for you, and he is your advocate to say, I don't want you to go to the place reserved for those who reject God forever, who have declared war by their sin on God forever. And if today you want your sin washed away, you want to be as clean as snow, you want to say, God, I want to join your team. I want to be part of that forever family. God, I want to put my faith, to take up faith and give it to you. If that's you today, right where you're seated, you pray a prayer like this after me. Jesus, today I give you me. I ask you to forgive me of all my sin because I understand that I have sinned against you. I ask you to wash me as white as snow. I believe that you are God and that I am not. And so today, Jesus, I give you me. And right now, if you prayed that prayer, will you raise your hand anywhere around the room? 
that today was the day you did that awesome all the way over here on this side. Greatest decision you could ever make. Anywhere else in the room, you might be up in the loft. My friends will see you up there. I saw a little hand here. Anywhere else. And believers in the room, you've got three enemies. But maybe you've been making somebody else the enemy who isn't. And you need to fight your battle against the enemy of your souls, the devil. And so today, would you just come before the Lord and give me, ask him to give you eyes to see and ears to hear where the battle really is. And God, I believe right now, as my brothers and sisters being honest with you about how they are and what they're doing, that you're breaking strongholds, that you're making people a new creation that you're taking people who walked in dejected and you're lifting them up, that they would walk out of here confident in your love and in your power and in your work in their lives. I pray in Jesus' name and together we said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.